So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. You are in for a treat today. I'm super excited to introduce today's host, Dr. Nina Polinay. She sits with me on the Wondermind Advisory Board, and she is California-based, like I am. Uh, we're both Tupac and <laughs> West Coast. Um, she's a licensed clinical psychologist and business consultant. She's inhabited many professional roles, such as a clinical professor, author, and speaker, and she helps her community by highlighting and translating the relationship between emotional, physical, and spiritual wellness in order to explore and discover our most authentic, empowering selves. Additionally, she is a couple therapist expert and um, enjoys helping individuals create mindful, healthy, and playful, playful connection. I think we need more play in our lives for sure. Her intention is to break down important wellness topics while mixing it up with her vivacious personality and spirited humor. Dr. Nina can be found on Instagram at D-R-N-I-N-A-P-O-L-Y-N-E. And uh, she may be spitting something on her own or she may be bringing on a guest. Either way, you're going to love her. There's so much wisdom in not only what she says, but also I love how she presents herself. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? It's your single on purpose host, Dr. Nina. Welcome to today's episode titled My Bestie is on the TV screen. I know you're probably wondering what this title means, but if you've consumed any media throughout the course of your life, this episode is for you. Even if you haven't, I know you will find this conversation captivating. So, all my besties on the TV screen are extra fabulous. So I'm wearing an 80s gold leather jacket to pay homage. <laughs> so DM, DM me your favorite TV characters. I'd love to hear which ones have impacted your life in a meaningful way. So I could not be more elated to welcome my very special expert guest to help me explore this topic and unpack it thoroughly. Dr. Bradley Bond is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Communication at the University of San Diego. I'm going to have him introduce himself in just a moment, but I'd like to share more of my personal perspective. So Dr. Brad and I have known each other for almost 20 years. Maybe it's 20 years at this point. Um, yeah. Yes, I'm <laughs> Yes, I'm aging myself at this point, but it's worth mentioning because friendships that last this long are few and far between, and I cannot be more grateful for his presence in my life. He's incredibly smart, witty, and fun, and he has a creative edge, which I hope he shares more about on this podcast today. He's thrown the most incredibly themed parties that 
And he's always been welcoming to any individual, no matter your background. I always felt at home when visiting him, and I know his large community feels similarly. He had a big birthday last year, and I swear there were hundreds of people in that room. So that... <laughs> So that speaks to his incredible impact on so many of us. So what's up, Dr. Brad? Welcome to the Single on Purpose podcast. Uh, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Nina. I'm excited to be here. Um, absolutely. Uh, as Dr. Nina said, um, I am Dr. Brad. Uh, I'm a professor and I research what we call media psychology. So my work looks at how media influences our attitudes, our behaviors, and our beliefs, uh, specifically for me, entertainment media. Uh, I also do a lot of work on marginalized representation and how individuals are depicted in the media and how that influences um, our own identity or our beliefs about others. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Brad. I'm so glad you're here. And it's so fun for us to have like this perspective of our friendship on a recording on a podcast so yeah it is here absolutely <laughs> i can't um, wait to see what skeletons you bring out of the closet Ooh, i'm ready for it so <laughs> i'm curious about like your perspective of how we met because it was so long ago and i feel like all of our memories are probably like a little chopped at this point but uh i'd love for you to share yours and then i'll definitely share mine oh my gosh you are correct that my memories may be false, but uh, I don't remember when we met, but I remember when I said, we will be friends. And that was at a Halloween party that I was throwing um, because Halloween is among my favorite holidays. Uh, and you came in a Tina Turner wig that was so spot on and you just rocked it all night long. And I thought that woman, that woman and I are going to be friends. And so <laughs> That's definitely the standout moment, um, regardless of when we actually first met. Uh, that that I, was the standout moment. Yes. So I feel similarly. I think it was that event where you were hosting this incredible party. And it was the kind of Halloween party where, like, no one comes with a costume that's bought at a store. I felt like everyone really <laughs> thought through their costume. They took it seriously. They were sewing for weeks, I'm sure, to like make the perfect costume. But I do remember that exact moment. I was like, oh, is this Tina Turner wig and like this outfit too much? And then I came to this party and I was like, oh, I'm right where I need to be because everyone here is coming correct. And I remember us having this exchange where we were dancing and having fun. And we had that moment where we were like, yeah, we need to be friends. And I think we all like, we have, you and I have similar friends just in general, just like the vibe of our friends that we have. Everybody is so down to earth, like super smart, down to earth, uh, very unique, very creative. And I think that really speaks to our communities. We share a lot of the same communities. So um, I was so grateful that I met you and we've had so many incredible memories since then. That is true. There is, there's something about being in costume that just makes you vulnerable. And so you're like, you're like in a state of meeting new people. Why not? Because you're dressed up in something ridiculous, or at least mine's always ridiculous. <laughs> Your costumes are always incredible. Do you have a favorite costume? Like, do you have one costume that stands out to you as like, oh yeah, this one, I really hit the mark. So I absolutely did not hit the mark, but my favorite costume ever was um, when I was an undergraduate student and much thinner than I am right now, I 
dressed, uh, I just wore a thong and then we painted my body head to toe in what gonorrhea looks like microscopically. And so I, I went as gonorrhea for Halloween and everyone was just like, I, what kind of a weird spotted animal are you? And I was like, no, 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 gonorrhea. And no one found it entertaining except for me, but I thought it was the most brilliant thing I had ever come up with. Okay, that is incredible, brilliant, unique, all the things. And I could see you doing something like that. And I think that it's like, it speaks to your creativity, right? Like who would think to do that? But like you would. And I think that's what you always keep us on our toes, Dr. Brad. So thank you for being that person in our lives. I try. <laughs> So I'm interested about like, you know, this podcast is called Single on Purpose. So I always like to ask our guests, you know, whether they're with someone or not, like what advice do you have for someone, you know, in order to live their best life, especially if they're single? I think that especially today, as someone who studies media and who knows how much time we spend with screens and how much time we spend engaging through technology, I think being mindful is the most important thing for maintaining a, a sense of identity and well-being as an individual, uh, almost again, regardless of if you're in a relationship or not. But it is becoming more and more difficult, in my opinion, for us to take a step back, to, to, to live in the moment, to reflect on the moment, um, rather than thinking about what we should be doing or what's next or what's ahead, uh, because our media environment encourage us to do that. So the idea that we can like take a step back and, and be mindful to me helps us live our best life. You are speaking my language, Dr. Brad. <laughs> I love being mindful and I think it's so important. And like you said, like we may not always be in the moment, but like, how do we step back and say like, oh, I've gone too far in the future right now, or I'm way, way back in the past. How do I get back to the present moment? And I think that's so incredible. And um, especially now that I'm thinking about uh, so many unpredictable moments, the pandemic, we have a lot of layoffs and tech happening right now. And it's just so much that's uh, sort of, uh, we, we, we don't know what to expect um, in terms of life. And so your advice to staying present and being in the moment is incredibly important. So thank you. Um, I'm wondering, I'm also a big music fan, so I love to talk about music. So is there a music artist that you're currently excited by? I know you're a big music fan too, so I'm really interested to hear what you're, what's like in your Spotify these days. Oh my. Um, this is not embarrassing, but as- Never <laughs> embarrassing. But I will tell you that right now, uh, it is actually a specific song from a specific artist, but- I am obsessed with the Jonas Brothers new song, The Waffle House. Okay. I don't. I haven't heard it. Oh, it. I don't know why. Well, I will tell you, I love upbeat songs. I love bubblegum pop. I love songs that make you feel like you're probably going to skip instead of walk. And this is one of those songs. But the whole premise is about having really deep conversations at The Waffle House. And for listeners who are unfamiliar, The Waffle House has a huge role in in my um, development really as like an adolescent because I grew up in Southern Illinois and throughout the South, there's a Waffle House at every freeway exit. Um, and Waffle House transcends race, class, gender, everybody goes to the Waffle House. And so um, this song just kind of hit home, but it also hit home in that really upbeat kind of poppy way. 
and I can't stop listening to it. And I'm not ashamed to say that I am currently obsessed with the Jonas Brothers new single. <clears throat> well, I am so excited to hear this song. And I just love the background of the song, too, because, yeah, I remember going to the Waffle House when I was a kid. And it is sort of like I know for my family it was like on Sundays, every Sunday we would go. And it's like oh. something you look forward to, you know, like you're just like, OK, I had like this random cereal all week long, like Lucky Charms <laughs> or whatever. But like on a Sunday, I was going to get some waffles and like throw down. So I love yeah. that you have that song and I'm going to look forward to listening to it. Um I would say for me, like, I've been really into disco and like, I was not born in the seven. I was like not around in the seventies era, you know, but like, there's something about disco that like really makes you just forget your troubles. And it's like the beat to every single song just makes you want to dance. And I think it just, I don't know, it just takes you to a different place. So do you listen to disco or do you have any like disco favorites? I love that you're sharing that you are currently into disco while you're wearing a metallic gold jacket. Yes. <laughs> like you, you could easily be a disco star um, you know in, in your I'm outfit. I'm going to quit my job and be a disco queen. That's probably a thing still, right? Yeah. I feel like there has to be someone out there that's hiring for a disco queen. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> you tried, you tried. I don't know. I don't know. I did. I did. And I had nothing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Try the check the checkindeed.com, see what's happening. Um, <laughs> but the jacket, the jacket checks. The jacket. Thank you. Uh, Thank, you. Thank yeah. you, Brad. That means a lot coming from you. I appreciate your compliment. Um, <laughs> so, in terms of celebration, I've been like really into celebrating myself and it's big it's become a practice for me because I am like you were kind of saying like I'm one of those people who I think a lot about the future my goals that I'm setting and every year I'm kind of like okay what are the goals that I want to hit for this next year and I've in the course of my life spent less time thinking about all that I have accomplished either on my mental health or just like you know tangibly what's happening in my life. Um, and so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about like, how can I celebrate myself and yeah. take in those really beautiful moments? Um, and yeah, like kind of, uh, suit myself up a little bit, but I'm curious how you do that for yourself. Like, how do you celebrate yourself? So that's such a great question. I, the first thing that comes to mind is that, um, I have a sweet tooth mm -hmm. and so I, will celebrate myself in in both kind of very small minute kind of ways and in really a bigger kind of life objective kind of ways with sweet treats so um actually on my way into the office today to chat with you i said oh i get to talk to dr nina today on this podcast and i'm so excited and that's a that's an accomplishment that I'm so excited to do and proud of. So I stopped and got coffee at one of my favorite spots that I only reserve for days that I feel like I can reward myself. And um, even those small things like that um, are really meaningful to me. So my favorite donut shop, my favorite coffee shop, my favorite candy shop, you know, those are things that have to be <laughs> taken in moderation. And so I find that if I use those as a way to celebrate um, me and my accomplishments, um, then, uh, it works. Yeah, I think that's really good that you do that because 
otherwise every day is groundhog day and we're just like kind of running through the mud. And I love the fact that you kind of stop and celebrate yourself with something like a treat. Like I love the coffee. I know you're a big coffee fan. So does it, is it hard for you to just like hold off for those special moments? It can be. Yes. (laughs) And those, those moments where it is hard, you have to remind yourself that, um, that life is difficult and that we all have obstacles and that maybe I need to like reevaluate what I'm rewarding myself for. Right. It doesn't have to be a monumental occasion. Um, it it can be something that, um, you know, I think it wasn't long ago I had a to-do list of like six things for the day and I accomplished two of them, but I told myself, you not only accomplished those two, you, you managed to do them well and you didn't get the to-do list done, but you made progress and that's worth rewarding. And I think that that's really important. That's so important. And I think we lose sight of that. So if you're listening out there and you feel like, oh, I really didn't accomplish much today, take Dr. Brad's advice that even if you accomplish something small, maybe if it's you just woke up and you got out of bed that day, that's worth celebrating. And so thank you, Dr. Brad. I think that's really incredible. And I think we can all use some of that in our lives. Um, So I'm ready to get into the episode and hear more about your profession, Dr. Brad, what you do and why our bestie is on the TV screen. So are you ready to do that? Absolutely. Let's go. Um, So Dr. Brad, my first question is, I mean, I'd love to explore with you. Why do we care about our perception of TV characters? Like why do they even matter? Yeah. So as I mentioned, my research is in this subfield in communication that we call media psychology. So we are studying the influence of media on the way that we think. And I became really fascinated by a concept that we refer to as parasocial relationships um, several years ago now when I was studying how teens learn about sex from the media, sexual norms, sexual behaviors. And we know that teens turn first to their friends to learn about sex and second to the media. But there's this concept, parasocial relationships, that argues that sometimes Television characters, celebrities, fictional characters, and other media can feel like friends. We can develop this social emotional bond that's very similar to a friendship with people who we've never met in real life. And in the case of fictional characters who may not even exist in real life. And so I became really interested because I thought, well, if teens learn about sex from their friends, but there are certain characters and celebrities who we feel like they are our friends, are we more likely to then learn about sex and sexual norms from those characters. That led me into this rabbit hole of studying this concept of parasocial relationships. And I find it particularly fascinating because I think I am so invested in my own relationships and I was a TV kid. I have to admit that I was raised by a single mom and that TV absolutely was uh, apparent for me. And we often joke in social science that you know, we don't do research, we do me-search, and that there's something about the research we do that is um, that stems from our own experiences and our own lived experience. And I think that that's true for me. I have had a long relationship with television and became really interested in this idea. Arguably, evolutionary-wise, these relationships exist because television and media in general have evolved at a much more rapid pace than the human brain. So, you know, film was around in maybe 1900. Television 
was invented in the late 1940s. And by the mid 1950s, 90% of homes in the US had a television. If you think about that from the mid 1950s to today, television, video games, virtual reality, uh, film have evolved immensely. And the argument behind why parasocial relationships exist is that our brains have simply not evolved at the same rate that media have. So when we see a person's face, we interpret that as a person. We interpret personhood, regardless of whether that's somebody you're meeting in real life or somebody that you're seeing on a screen. Now, certainly as a viewer, you know when you're watching television and you know when you're meeting somebody in person. But in terms of processing faces and understanding personhood, um, very little happens in the brain um, differently from processing a person in real life versus a person on screen. So we develop these social emotional bonds with characters, with celebrities, with people that we've never met um, because it's natural. It's natural for us to want to develop relationships with other people. It helps us um, sustain society. And so we do that with characters and celebrities. That is incredible. Thank you for sharing. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking about my own experience with media and television. And I really feel like I've learned so much from watching shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like I felt like Uncle Phil was actually my uncle mm -hmm. or like Family Matters or uh, Full House, you know, all those shows back in the day, Saved by the Bell. Uh, and also my siblings and I, we would sneak and watch the real world. Like we weren't old enough to really watch it, but I feel like we <laughs> learned about sex and like um, relationships through watching real world. And so it's so interesting that you brought that up. Did you have any shows in your past that you kind of watched and related to in that way as you were growing up and developing? So as I began to study this topic and reflected on my own experiences, um, I absolutely had a parasocial relationship with Alf. The little, yeah, I know, an alien puppet on a 1980s situation comedy. <laughs> I think it, it, it may say something about my own personality that a snarky, um, foul-mouthed alien is who I thought was my friend. But uh, as an only child growing up, um, I also, like, I had engaged in imaginary thoughts about, like, well, what if Alf were living in my house? And what would Alf do? And how would Alf and I engage? And when Alf did something that made him happy, I was happy. And when Alf did something that made him sad, I was sad. And that's formulaic for this idea of kind of having these, these relationships. So as a kid, that was absolutely kind of the strongest PSR parasocial relationship that I like. That's to have. incredible. And now I have to go back and watch those episodes to see like <laughs> the attitude. Cause I bet I can like make some connections, uh, because I know you personally, but, um, yeah, it's really cool that you've also created a career for yourself based on interests that you've had you know, growing up, like you took that and you, you evolved over time and then you created a profession out of it, which a lot of people, um, struggle to do. Sometimes they're thinking about like, okay, the pressure of my parents and my parents want me to be this kind of individual or have this kind of career. So, um, I'm interested in more of like, as you grew up over time, it sounds like you found your niche. What kept you there? Um, were there were there any sort of other uh, job opportunities you had or other ways that you might have considered going in terms of career? And like, why did you pick this one? That's a good question. I think as an academic, what initially kind of 
as you said, kept me here and still does are the unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who, who engages in research, every good research study that I conduct looking at this topic um, leads to more questions than it does answers. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that it is invigorating, that's motivating. And, um, and that's why I keep doing what I do. I also think we've reached a point in understanding the value of um, interpreting how media messages influence audiences that the industry has taken note. And so I have been doing more work with the media industry in talking about these kinds of portrayals and, and why they matter. And I think that um, if we can make inroads in terms of um, better representation, that's also really, really important. Incredible. And yeah, I just, that's something that I've admired about you since I've known you is that you've been very passionate about what you do and your studies and also just all the questions that you ask. And it's clear to me that you're in the right place, you know, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. And yeah. um, I think that's really inspiring that you've always been a person that like, you're going to go after that goal. And then you're also going to make it, I guess, more digestible for everyone else, especially because you're teaching, you're engaging other people and getting them interested in the topic and relating it in a way that makes sense to each individual. Like even as you were talking, I was thinking about my own experience. And I think that says something about the way that you communicate, which is why you're a director in the field of communication, because <laughs> you know, like it makes sense. And I just, I love that you are so passionate about what you do and you've stuck on that road to help other people and that other people have seen your passion, especially in the consulting work that you do. And I'm, I'm sure that lights them up as well. I hope so. Um, like I said, it's motivating for me to think that um, our work in academia can actually better the lives of media consumers. I mean, that's the ultimate right. goal for me. Right. Um, so there have been, an, well, actually, I want to ask you this question. So how can media narratives be helpful for marginalized communities? So you talked a lot about representation. So if we're thinking about like the LGBTQ plus population or uh, the black and indigenous populations, Latino, Latina, the elderly, um, how can the media, you know, be helpful to them? Yeah. So in terms of the concepts that, that I study, this idea that we develop these socio-emotional bonds with characters on screen that are very similar to real life friendships. Um, for decades, we thought that those relationships might compensate for a lack of real life relationships. So there was this belief that if you're lonely, if you have a very small social network, that maybe media characters or celebrities would kind of supplant that would make up for that lack of a strong social connection. And research that looked at that um, was never supported. In fact, sometimes it was the inverse. And over time, we actually made the argument that people who have strong social skills, people who have the psychological toolkit needed to make friends easily and to stay in contact with a lot of friends simultaneously, those are also the people that develop the strongest parasocial relationships. And that also is logical. That makes sense that if you're just really good at making friends, then you're also really good at making friends with characters. But what I have found is that that idea of compensation does actually work if we're looking at marginalized populations. So some of my work with LGBTQ young people has shown that when they report that they don't have other uh, queer people in their lives, they, they don't have other friends in their social network who identify as LGBTQ. 
that they are more likely to have a strong parasocial relationship with a fictional character or celebrity who identifies as LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And that they also are more likely to report that if they could, they would turn to that celebrity or fictional character for advice on a range of topics from um, school to relationships to religion, that LGBTQ youth who lack that connection in their interpersonal lives are really seeking it out in media representation. And so that compensation hypothesis, this idea that our media characters might compensate for a lack of social connection, not supported in the general public. But when we actually look at marginalized populations, um, we see that that is indeed true. Uh, I've done some anecdotal work with people who are homebound and who have mobility issues. And as their interpersonal networks um, kind of start to weaken, because eventually your friends visit less often and you spend more right. time alone, um, that they have started to also develop really strong parasocial connections to media characters that they see on screen regularly. So they, this idea of our parasocial relationships uh, can be a, a really strong socialization agent for individuals with, with some aspect of a marginalized identity. That's incredible to note because I know there are some people out there that are like media or like TV screen is just bad, you know, but as you were talking, I was even thinking about the times that I've like on rotation worked with the elderly population, et cetera. Like they're in these homes, like with four walls around them, maybe they don't even have a window. Some people who are older and they're just bedridden and they can't even get up to get themselves a, a snack but there might be a TV there and they look forward to the shows that they're watching. They might like yeah. every single week, watch a certain talk show and it means something to them. So I think that's so important that you're sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. These, um, these connections are typically healthy. Um, even when I'm doing this research and we ask people to talk about their parasocial others, their favorite characters or celebrities, I will often get participants in research that start their anecdotes by saying something like, well, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but, and I'm always like, no, 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 you, there's no reason to be embarrassed that like human beings seek social connection. It's part of being human and that we don't stop seeking social connection simply because we see faces on screens and that it's perfectly normal. <clears throat> yeah. And you were talking a lot about queer youth and how there weren't a lot of, maybe if they don't have a community of other friends who identify similarly and how that might be helpful, like TV characters might be helpful to them. That's something that you've seen in the research and also like throughout just all of your research, or is this like something that is just brewing now? Is this like throughout, like longitudinally, this is the case? Yeah, great question. So a lot of the studies I've done with queer youth are cross-sectional surveys. So we're correlating their parasocial relationships with other variables. And what we're finding is that the, the findings are consistent. Mm. So that for, for queer young people who are seeking that kind of connection or who have a yeah. strong social need, um, they're mm. finding those social needs on screen if they can't find them through their interpersonal network. So oftentimes so that- incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So Dr. Brad, my next question for you is, why do you think we become so wrapped up in the lives of celebrities? I feel like if they break up, if they're getting married, or if someone passes away, we're all involved and we want to turn on the news. We want to get all the pictures or 
all the information. Why do you think that is? And just from your own professional background, I'd love to hear more. Yeah. So if we have these parasocial connections with celebrities, then it would make sense that we react to them in the same way that we would react to our interpersonal others. So when something really positive and exciting happens to our favorite celebrities, we can be really happy and excited about it. And when something really bad and gay happens to one of our favorite celebrities or they engage in deviant behavior, um, that can make us reevaluate our relationship with a celebrity just like it would with a, you know, with a real life friend. Uh, I had somebody ask me this recently because apparently, this is anecdotal evidence, there are shrines being set up of flowers uh, in a few areas in New York City for the breakup of Taylor Swift and um, her significant other. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, people are literally bringing flowers out into the street to mourn Taylor Swift's uh, relationship ending. And it is representative of these strong emotional bonds that we have with people that we don't know. And we want to act. We want to feel better ourselves, right? Like we want to be in a positive uh, emotional state generally. And so if we are saddened by something like this, then maybe we take action. Um, if we're angered, maybe we take action. And, you know, we saw Britney Spears fans protest uh, her conservatorship and stand outside of courtrooms for hours on end with signs. And, and that kind of a behavior is something you might do for your friend. And so it makes sense that it would be something that we do for people on screen that we also think of as our friends. That makes a lot of sense. I'd say personally, I was a part of the Free Britney movement and <laughs> hashtag Free Britney. I was really excited when things went in her favor. We hope the best for you, Brittany. Um, and yeah, I do feel like very connected. I remember when uh, Jen and remember like the J-Lo, Jen and Ben situation, then they got back together. It's like you get so involved in these situations. And even, you know, unfortunately, when Kobe passed away, it's like I'm not even that big of a basketball fan, but I obviously know how incredible he is and was felt devastated. I still remember where I was when I found out that he had passed away. And so it makes sense to me why these moments are so pivotal, especially with people that we identify with on screen. So that's really incredibly yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've, we've always had these connections to celebrity. That's, that's not new. We had connections to film stars in the 1920s, television stars in the 1950s. But what is unique about today's media environment is the aspect of social media. And the fact that somebody like Kobe Bryant is a basketball star, uh, but would also have been on Twitter and Instagram. And so we get these small glimpses into the backstage that we never got before, right? If you were a fan of a pop star in the 1980s, you listened to their music and maybe every now and then you saw an interview on a late night show or you got to read about them in Rolling Stone magazine, but they were these glimpses that were, there was a much greater duration between these kind of glimpses. Today, if you have a favorite pop star, they likely tweet multiple times a day. They're posting photos of their home or their pets or their vacations on Instagram. And so we get this constant loop of information that is considered personal. So it makes it way more likely that we are going to start to develop this connection that we feel like we know them, right? Like I've seen Lady Gaga's dogs many times on Instagram. That only builds the belief that I know her, 
right? And that I find similarity with her because I know what her kitchen looks like and I know what her dogs look like. And that's not something we were privy to prior to social media. And so it has really altered these relationships such that they may be more intensified when, as you said, when um, someone dies or when something happens to a celebrity. Right. And that's, thank you for bringing up that point about the fact that it's not just TV, but how social media really expands what we know about celebrities, their lifestyles, what they eat, right? They're like tweeting about what they ate for breakfast. So you like really know everything about these people. And so, yes, like we become really engaged and involved in their lives just as we would with maybe someone that we know personally. So that makes a lot of sense. And also very, it's a little creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, but also really wonderful that we can identify with them, but also, yeah, it's like, uh, you, you have like this, it's almost like you have this view of someone's life. Like you're kind of in the kitchen with them, which is nice, but yeah. No, you're right. It can be uh, problematic. Let's say that for, for some individuals, a minority of individuals, but for some, it can actually lead to, um, unhealthy perceptions of connection. Uh, and And actually, we've done a study where we interviewed YouTube influencers, and they talk about the uncomfortableness of meeting fans sometimes because the fan knows them, right? They feel like they know them. They know things about them. But but you as the influencer, you don't know anything about the person who's talking to you. And so it can create um, really interesting interpersonal interactions. So interesting. Um, So you are dropping so many knowledge bombs on us today, Dr. Brad. I have (laughs) one more question for you. And it's for those who are listening, obviously, to this episode, many of them are single on purpose, yet they may be in the dating process currently kind of putting feelers out there to see what they like and they don't like. So how do you how do the shows we watch on TV influence the attractions we may have on potential dates? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I study parasocial relationships as friendships. And arguably, that's kind of how we define our connections to media characters. But research has shown that that connection doesn't have to be a platonic friend connection, that we might see particular media characters as paternal. We might see them as kind of parental figures. We also might see them as potential romantic figures. So one of the things that's really interesting about parasocial research is that there's this line of studies that look at parasocial romance and the idea that we kind of experiment and play with our dating relationships by engaging in imagined interactions with characters or celebrities that we might be attracted to. And in fact, at least in US culture, that is incredibly common for adolescents, right? Like many people would report that their first crush was actually on a pop star or a television actor. And that as an adolescent, we then go through some kind of imagined interaction where we think about what it would be like to go on a date with them or make them dinner. And it's a way of experimenting with relationships that is incredibly low risk, right? There's, there's no fear of rejection. There's no fear of engaging in behavior that's going to be misinterpreted. And even as adults, we still kind of engage in these imagined romantic interactions with celebrities. And so it can be a a safe playground, which is kind of interesting. Um, In terms of television's influence on our actual (laughs) in-person dating behaviors, um, there's a fair amount of research that looks at reality 
uh, romantic programming in particular and how it will it and how reality programming can create perceptions about what romance is supposed to look like yeah i'm even as you're talking i'm thinking about like those shows like the bachelorette the bachelor and they have these like really uh, you know romantic views of like the ways people go on dates and these like expensive they fly in these bands to play for them as they're dancing and all the candles and then you think that's sort of how dating might look um so it makes sense yeah and this research actually started this line of research actually started uh, quite a while ago by studying the disney princess genre Oh, and, yeah. and arguing that young girls were developing this misperception of what relationships look like because of the formulaic Disney princess story. And more modern research has actually used the same premise and the, kind of the same theories to study that with shows like The Bachelor, that it's not just Disney princesses anymore, that as you said, it's these shows like The Bachelor that create these unrealistic expectations of what relationships look like. We then normalize those and in turn, our own experiences never live up to those expectations. And so right. we <clears throat> were unsatisfied because as you said, they're, they're not flying us around in helicopters um, to, to go to bands that are going to play just for us while we dance. That's, that's not what a typical first date looks like. At least none exactly. that I've had. Yeah. Same for me. I've never had a first date or any kind of date like that. And I was even thinking as you were talking about, uh, I wonder, I don't know the research on this, but I wonder about how those kinds of shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette have shaped dating culture in general, because it's like you have these 30 contestants lined up and you're giving roses to only a certain amount of people. And how are we doing that within like dating apps or like, how are we approaching dating in similar ways? Or maybe we're not. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, uh, you know, what the research is on that, which I don't know if anyone studied that, but it is interesting how it's shaped our culture of dating in general. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely has. And it has also shaped our definition of beauty and and physical attractiveness and so when we think about um, who we date and who we're interested in these programs can really kind of shift what we consider uh, to be uh, attractive what we consider to be attractive who we consider to be attractive right everyone's just out there influencing <laughs> and, and filters galore right <laughs> all the filters that we have absolutely media now why yeah. not yeah um, so Dr. Brad, this has been so enlightening. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. And also just thank you for being such an incredible friend. You're, you're just amazing in all aspects. Um, and I'm just so glad to share this room with you today, this virtual space. Right back at you, Dr. Nina, every word. <laughs> so where can people find you, Dr. Brad? Oh, people can find me at bradleyjbond.com and you can learn more about my research or uh, reach out and contact me there. Important. Yeah. And also like if anyone wants to do consulting work with you, they can go through your website as well. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Wonderful. Um, so and you can find me, Dr. Nina at Dr. Nina Polline on Instagram. I'll also place all of our information for myself and Dr. Brad in the show notes. Um, any final words or last words, Dr. Brad from you? That's such a pressure filled question. 
it could just literally be like, bye. <laughs> I would say my, my final words would be to enjoy the moments that you have with the media, but don't let them take away from the moments that you have in the grass. Mm, love that. So inspirational and wonderful. I, and I need to remember. I need to remember that too. Um, so thank you all for listening. Remember, this is not therapy or medical advice, but we hope you picked up a gem or two for yourself or for a loved one. Remember, the more we work on ourselves and follow our inner compass, the better life is, whether we're partnered or single on purpose. Dr. Brad, thank you for an enlightening, super fun and energizing episode. And also thanks for being such a dedicated friend for many years years. I wish everyone had a friend like you. Thank you, Dr. Nina. Pleasure to be here. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you can just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, Zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend. Hey, before you go, I want to invite you to the Single Purpose private community online. It's off of social media, no ads, no algorithms. We got forums, we got live groups, we got webinars, and we have social hangs. We also have offline in-person hangs happening soon. So check us out. Go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life, and I will see you inside.